0: Welcome to a day of prayer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Together, let's engage in relationship with Christ through prayer and his word. Beloved of the Most High God, This morning, I'm being led to discuss worship with all of you. But worship not in the context of praise and worship, like we just did this morning, but worship in the context of who or whom is the object of your worship. Who are your acts directed towards? So if you could please turn with me to John 10. We're going to begin in verse 34. But where we begin reading from this section, there is a, we kind of come into the middle of this very volatile interaction that's happening between Jesus and the people in the temple, both the Pharisees and the Jews, uh, because Christ's teachings became a source of conflict. It caused the people to become angry, accusing him. Jesus, that is, about being demon possessed. It was an attempt to discredit him. However, the people, uh, so, sorry. We'll rewind a little bit. Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, healed the blind man and then confirms that he is God. And this is in, begins in chapter 9, 30, verses 35 through 37. But as a result of that, the people became angry, accused him of being demon possessed, Again, attempting to discredit him. However, the people asked him again if he was truly God. So they also requested that Jesus be blunt or direct in his response. They said, give it to us plainly. And in his response, Jesus deferred to his previous statement, the original one, which created again division in the people, but it only proved his point. And the point was that his sheep, his followers, or Christians, those in a personal relationship with the Lord, with Christ, being conformed to his image, know his voice. They are given eternal life and cannot be taken from the Father's hand. And those that don't believe, they're not his sheep. And he says this before stating to the people, reasserting that he is God by stating, I and the Father are one. So we pick up when the reading is after the people have accused Jesus of blasphemy, which is making himself out to be God, and are for again in Jesus' life, preparing to stone him. So John ten, beginning of verse thirty four, says Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law? I said, You are gods. And if he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, You are blaspheming, because I said I am the Son of God. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me, but if I do do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Now the words Jesus gives in verse 34, I said you are God's, is actually found in Psalm 82, verse 6. And that scripture says, I said you are God's. And all of you are sons of the Most High. Which is an interesting scripture. There's a lot of deep meditation and reflection can be had on just that scripture alone. But no matter how long we reflect on it, at some point we should come to an important question that we have to ask ourselves. And it's also the title of this message. And that question is, who do you worship? So we'll phrase it another way. So we have a table. It's like any other table, family setting, situation, whatever, however you want to look at it. The table is where everyone gathers and comes together. But as we all know, there is a place at the table, reserved, or typically the head of the house. One person typically sits in that spot, regardless of anyone that comes there. And where everyone else sits at the table is a combination, It's usually determined by a combination of age. Uh, we're talking about this morning, we all have our preferred seat, <laughs> where we like to sit at whether that's here in the auditorium or but in this case we're talking about the table. Uh position in the family, uh, all these other factors, uh the ability of you know, what is your skill level? Can you feed yourself? If not, you're probably going to be closer to one of the parents, right? But there's a place and a position for everyone. But the one that's reserved for typically the head of the house. Everyone knows where that spot is. Everyone knows. You can consider it preferential treatment. But again, everyone has their place. And uh there's usually some funny things that happen when someone decides to take that seat. Some funny responses occur, because everybody knows. They see the eyes get huge, kind of bug out of their head a little bit. Um, <laughs> I did it when I was young. I wanted to see what it was all about. What's different about this seat than anywhere else? So I jumped in it, and my father came over. For sure, he was holding his food, and he lovingly just said, Get up. I was slow learning, so uh, I sat there. I'm like, well, I'm already in the spot. You'll just go to the other one. And he, again, just repeats it. Get up. Okay, <laughs> and we're moving. Right? Get up, get out. But if we look at this this table, as our Christian walk, we should know that spot can only have one person sit there. It is reserved for God. It's God who should be the central point in our life, given reverence or importance in every place in our lives before anything. Deuteronomy 5-7 says, You shall have no other gods before me. And Deuteronomy 5-9 says, You shall not worship or serve them, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God. But as we're looking at this in the context of our Christian walk, how many times have we placed ourselves in that spot? Ourselves, our spouse, our children, job, career, house, cars, finances. How many times have those things been put in that place? Or what about our ministry? If we're all Christians, what about our ministry? Let's reflect on that for a moment. Our ministry, the exact thing that we've been blessed by the Lord to do. And if you're not, if you're saying, but I don't have a ministry, I just attend church, I will tell you you are mistaken. That the Lord has a ministry for you. And it's actually the same as each and every one of us. We all have the same ministry. It doesn't matter if you have been saved for 120 years or if you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning. The ministry we all have, is that we are called to make disciples. It's the same for everyone. So with that, the exact thing that we've been blessed by the Lord with to to do, to conduct for His glory, have we instead taken the reins and attempted to do it of our own? Pushing the Lord out of ministry, out of His position, and sitting in His seat doing it of our own power. May it never be. Especially since our ability to even come to the table is the gift of grace through faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. When we get to the heart of the matter, that's the exact issue that we see with the Pharisees in Matthew 23. They inserted themselves in that place, exalted themselves. They sought preferential treatment. Their actions, their deeds pointed to them. They were hypocritical, they hypocrites, telling people how to live under God, how to serve Him, but they didn't follow the word themselves. Every aspect of their ministry, even the tithe, was more of a check in the box instead of representing their relationship with God, faith and love. It wasn't that they didn't do good things, they didn't bring people to God. It says they did. It says they traveled to far off lands and, and did all these, all these things to convert people, but then after they were converted, they made them twice as the son of the devil as they were. That's in Matthew 23, 15. The conduct was so against the word of God that was given to Moses, which they claimed to follow, that Jesus states in Matthew 23, verse 33, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how, Will you escape the sentence of hell? And the deeper context of that scripture that Christ is speaking about can be found in Psalm 81 verse 15. But that was the culture of the Pharisees. They pretended obedience to the Lord. And everyone was doing the exact same thing. But it was known to those with spiritual insight. If you turn with me to Luke 3, we're going to be looking at verses 7 and 8. As we look at the words of John the Baptist, when he addresses the Pharisees, who, let's not forget, his father was a Pharisee at one time. Or oh, no, excuse me, not a Pharisee. His father was the high priest at one time. So he grew up. He knew the environment. He knew the culture well. But in verse 7, it says, So he began saying to the crowds, who are going out to be baptized by him. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children of Abraham. The culture that the Pharisees created. Now let's, let's not forget that the Pharisees were learned individuals. They had studied the Word. They'd sat under teachings and all this. They studied the Scriptures. They had knowledge. They had shut out the Lord and instead inserted themselves in His spot so that all the works glorified themselves. But it wasn't just the Pharisees that were impacted that were affected by the culture or the common practice. It was the people. If we looked at the, the Scripture in John, it was the people that wanted to stone Jesus. John 10, verse 15. The tithing, the ministries, the conversions, it all pointed to them, to the Pharisees. But to what good? They had placed themselves in their own ministry or agenda ahead of God. And it caused the people that they were charged with pointing to God to be negatively impacted and as a result were as blinded as the Pharisees themselves. They were face-to-face with God in the form of Jesus and were trying to remove Him, not allow Him to conduct ministry I don't allow him to do anything. They were resisting God, which means they recognized that He was God. And it's kind of hard not to do that. He had just told them twice. But they recognized that He was God, and they rejected Him, attempting to remove Him from His rightful place in order that they could keep their own. Which, when we get down to the heart of it, denotes a spirit of the Antichrist. A spirit that sets itself against God. Jesus may not appear as they expected him to, and their knowledge and understanding of the scriptures, but they were speaking to God face to face. 1 John 4 verses 2 and 3 says, By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming, and now is already in the world. Second John one seven says, "For many deceivers have gone out into the world; those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist." We're either for God. Or we're against him. But if we go back to Luke chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, we see that John the Baptist addressed the Pharisees in verse 7, calls them a brood of vipers. But then in verse 8, he says, Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you, that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. So some might ask, how can we bear fruits worthy of repentance? If we look at verse 8, it's a warning. And the warning is to not put your trust in natural things, natural gains. They, the Pharisees, have put their trust In being a child of Abraham, of following the law of Moses. But our trust should be in the Lord. However, that's but the first step. Our lives, our actions, all point to who we worship. And if our trust truly is in the Lord, then our lives will bear fruit, just as Christ did which only comes from being connected to the Father through submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. We talk about being conformed to the image of Christ, but that is being conformed to the image of Christ. Fruit only comes from being connected to the Father through submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't sit at that place because we're not at the same level. We are not eye to eye. Psalm 103 says, Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The Lord's made us and he's called each of us. And each of us has a purpose of His design. Many times when we place ourselves in that spot, we are trying to make purposes for ourselves. We talked about the career, the ministry, etc. We're trying to do it ourselves instead of seeking His purpose and asking Him to have the Holy Spirit lead us and direct us on how to carry it out. First Peter two, verse nine says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Apostle Paul states in Romans twelve one. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We need to become conformed to the image of Christ, for our lives to reflect him dwelling in us. We need to hunger and thirst after God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, as Christ was to teach us to be led by him, to be filled with power, and to do the works that he's called us to do. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 8, says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, If there is any fellowship of the Spirit and any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross. The attitude that Christ has was characterized by a close and personal relationship with his heavenly Father. His character was love, humility, servanthood, and obedience his desire was to please God alone and for his actions to be like his father who he worshiped, only to say the things his heavenly Father said and only to do the things his heavenly Father did he didn't want any fame or recognition directed at him it was all done for God's glory. John 4:34 says Jesus said to them My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work And John 17:4 says I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work which you have given me to do This should be our position This is how we should live our lives to carry out the Lord's will and accomplish His work, not for our glory, not so anybody or anything can say or point at us and give us any credit, but so that He may be glorified. So as we begin to close, let's reflect on the words spoken by Joshua to the people of Israel which contained guidance, and left the people with a choice. It's a decision that must be made. Action is required. It was required then, but the choice is no different than today. Every moment of every day we make this choice. So it's required now. Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15 says, Now therefore, Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So at this time, I just want to encourage you to move towards Christ, whether that's to begin a personal relationship with Him, or maybe in our lives we've done some things that we know are not Christ-like. They don't reflect Christ in us. And we want to rededicate our lives to Him. As the closing worship song plays, I just ask that we please examine our hearts, your hearts and your mind. And if there is anything, any area in your life that isn't aligned with him, take advantage of this opportunity here and now to make it right with him. Following the song, we'll have a prayer team up here immediately following the closing song. You can come up for prayer, whether that's for salvation, or healing, or just to have a prayer team minister the Spirit to your needs. Amen? Amen.